I want to look over the next two weeks on zeal, and um, I want to look at one verse in the Bible for two whole weeks, which seems a little bit excessive, but um, there's so much in it. So if you've got your Bibles, Romans 12, verse 11. Let me read it to you. It says this. This comes in a a context where there's a bit of in um, Romans 12 where Paul is basically just firing out loads of little one-liners, little instructions here, there, and everywhere, and then comes to this one in verse 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. One verse, let me read it again. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's in three parts almost. Don't be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, but in the big picture, the big context of serving God. And then um, I want to unpack that over this week and next. Um, so why don't we pray and we'll dive in. Father, I want to thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you have amazing plans. Thank you for what you've done in our church life. Thank you for what you've done in individual lives. Thank you for the stories that you're writing. Um, and Father, we're excited for what's next. And I pray that you just come and um, help us unpack what this verse means. God, help us what it means for people zealous for you. Um, so Holy Spirit, come and bring clarity um, and lead us into more fullness, more freedom. Help us to be more completely the people you've made us to be. Nothing held back. In Jesus' name. Amen. So these two words, zeal and fervor, I'm going to be honest, don't think they're words I ever use in normal kind of everyday life. Um, actually, probably the only way we'd use zeal or zealous would be saying someone was overzealous, which is actually we'd use as a negative, wouldn't we? So they're a little bit too much. They're a little bit over the top. Um, and spiritual fervor, like, you know, an initial reading, it's like, oh, gosh, that sounds, gosh, I like the sound of that. It sounds a little bit potentially out of control, maybe a wee bit messy. Um, and maybe that's just me, but I'm super, when I read a verse like that, I'm like, I have some filters when I'm reading that in terms of what does that mean? What does that look like? And am I okay with that? Um, but I think my, my first thing I would say is, listen, I think this is a biblical instruction, not an option. I think this is quite a clear directive. Don't be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. Not like a, if you fancy it, this is like a clear biblical instruction. Um, but I think, like I say, because zeal isn't a word we probably use massively often, we're maybe um, not massively clear on what it is. So if we started there, you know, what is zeal? We'll look at that over the next couple of weeks, but what is it? Um, so you see it used quite a lot through the Bible. Um, I'm not going to do an exhaustive word search by any means, but um, simply put, certainly in the Old Testament, if you look, it often gets translated as jealous or sometimes as zeal. So it's the same word, gets translated different ways. And um, it's a word that God uses to describe himself. He describes himself as a, a zealous God in, in Exodus 20, where um, there's that instruction to the Israelites you know, to have no other gods beside him. He says, because I am a jealous God. So that word jealous is the same root word as zeal. So he describes that of himself. Um, and in one of the most famous kind of passages in the Bible, that's sort of prophesying Jesus in Isaiah 9, where it says, you know, unto us a child is born, his name will be a wonderful counselor. That whole passage, there's this whole beautiful list of this promise of this one who's coming. And in the final verse, it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Same root word as I am a jealous God. It's the same thing. I, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So I think if I'm looking at, okay, what's, help me understand what zeal is. And I'm, I'm not great with concepts. I like to know what does that mean? What do you need me to do? What does that look like? So for zeal, I think if we're looking at God's model for zeal, I think it has an inward and an outward. Um, so God describing himself as being jealous for our affection, for our devotion, for our worship, for relationship with us. So God's zeal in part is a strength and depth of emotion that he has for us and towards us. That's, there's an inward bit going on there. But it isn't just an internal state. It has an out. 
You know, God's zeal makes things happen. So things that he's planned in his heart, you know, the sending of Jesus, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, it's his zeal that made that happen. So it had an out. It has these two, so zeal has two aspects. It has an inward and an outward. And it's almost like us to be not lacking in zeal means that somehow there is this connector, which means what is on the inside gets out. And so when I've been looking at this, I've, I haven't found a definition that I like of biblical zeal, so I did my own one. I think zeal is this, biblically. I think zeal is a passionate internal state that expresses itself in radical action. It's got an in, it's got an out. Comfortable with that? A passionate internal state that expresses itself in radical action. Because, listen, our zeal must be in response to and framed by God's zeal, what his looked like, which was is a passionate internal state with radical action with an L. And so, what, okay, what does that look like for us then? And how do we make sure, because the imperative biblically is don't be lacking in zeal. So if that's kind of part of what zeal is, how do we make sure we're not lacking in it? Um, if you look in, a, in an English dictionary um, for zeal, um, it's helpful. It says it's fervor for a person. So it's the same word using that verse. Fervor for a person, a cause, or an object. Eager desire or endeavor. Enthusiastic diligence. Like, even in that, can you see, listen, there's an in and an out even there, isn't there? Fervor for a person, eager desire, but also endeavor, enthusiastic diligence. Like, there's an out as well. So diligence, if you, if you jump onto that, and actually that verse in Romans, never be lacking in zeal, the word, the Greek word that's used for zeal there sometimes can get translated, in some Bible translations, they actually translate it as diligence. So there's a lot of overlap. So diligence, what does that mean? Because that's somewhat an old-fashioned word as well. Constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent exertion of body or mind. So diligence definitely has an out. Diligence is definitely doing stuff. Um, but, and then fervor, that's the other part of it. Fervor is a great warmth and earnestness of feeling. So listen, there's a lot of overlap, isn't there, in those three words? And kind of like unpacking, well, what does this verse actually mean? It's a warmth of feeling, intense devotion, enthusiasm, eager desire, but that is activated, so involves endeavor, effort, exertion, accomplishment. Definitely an in, but definitely an out. Um, so zeal is a very fat word, if you like. There's, like, there's, a, lot, there's a lot about it. Um, And so this instruction to us in Romans must be that we pay attention to the internal, the inward, what's going on, but also that that must have an out. Um, And so the question has to be, okay, if if that's some of what zeal for God and spiritual fervor, that's some of what that looks like, eager desire, earnest endeavor, um, is intensity, eagerness, enthusiasm, desire, devotion, all those words that kind of are what those words mean. You know, I need to look at my life and say, well, does, is that what my life looks like? Is that what my relationship with Jesus looks like? Is, is that the sum total of what I put myself to? Is that what I look like um, in my serving the Lord? Because biblically, it needs to be. It should be. I think it's there. And so we need to be super aware. Listen, we have a responsibility um, to, like, this instruction is pointed at us. It's not pointed at you know, church leaders to do it for their congregations. It's not, it, like, it's, it's for us to do. So I think it's really important we notice that actually for us to grow in zeal so that we're not lacking, to keep our spiritual fervor, those are things that we're responsible for. You know, my pursuit of increasing hunger for God, to know his heart, to see his kingdom come, like, 
my pursuit is absolutely my responsibility. I need you guys to cheer me on, encourage me, champion me, show me stuff, blaze a trail that I can follow. Like, I'm not in isolation, but bottom line, it is my responsibility. You know, it's not good enough to kind of say, well, God knows where I am if he wants to come and suddenly ignite passion within me. Um, it, like, actually, let's take some responsibility. This is something Paul is saying, you guys do it. If you read in other translations, this verse, verse 11, it kind of accentuates this point. So the message translation translates it like this. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. And Mr. Phillips, who you know is my favorite, says this. Let us keep the fires of the spirit burning as we do our work for God. Listen, it's pointed at me. Keep yourselves fueled. Sarah, keep yourself fueled. Let us keep the fires. There's an ownership and a responsibility on us to be zealous, to be spiritually fervent. Having a passive approach that zeal might come over me one day, honestly, I'm not think, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's good enough to say it's for certain Christians or certain cultures, it's more, you know, they're more zealous. Um, certain personality types, listen, it might come easier to certain personality types or in certain cultural settings, but like, that is not an adequate get-out. We are called to be a zealous people for God. It's something I have to initiate and steward and act on. You see, again, a really famous verse when Paul is writing to Timothy. Um, this, he has this encouragement. He says, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands on you. Yeah, you know that bit? So there's something within us, something God-given in us. I'm not saying we have to kind of manufacture something that's not there. Absolutely, there's something that the Spirit, you know, we even sang about this morning, actually that we come alive because the Spirit of God lives in us. That gift, that spiritual life that is in us, Okay. And then specific gifts that God gives us. And there is a place when we pray for one another. We commission people. That's absolutely right and biblical. But from that point, it is ours to steward. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Listen, you fan it into flames. Let me read it. that verse. It's 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. The Amplified Version translates it like this. And this entirely sounds like the Romans verse to me. It's, it makes me feel a very similar thing. This is why I would remind you, says Paul, to stir up rekindle the embers of, fan the flames of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that internal situation that is in you by the means of the laying on of my hands. Those two verses really overlap. Keep your spiritual fervor is what he says to us in Romans. Stir up that inner fire, he's saying to Timothy. Same language, which tells us two things. Listen, you need to do something about it. You need to do that. And the second thing is regardless of where you were born or where you live or your personality type, listen, this is supposed to look quite hot, kind of fiery, fervent, passionate. That's what zeal is. And honestly, I'm convinced it is for all of us. And I think one of the things we can trip up over is that um, we somehow mistakenly feel that this passionate internal state is somehow linked to or limited by personality types. That's one way we can trip up. The other way is that in its radical expression, it always looks like A, B, and C. And I don't think either of those two things are right. Um, And so I want us to look at that. I want to look over this week and next, uh, um, actually, zeal and worship. And I want to to specifically talk about corporate worship and times of worshipping God in song. Because I have found, um, and I'm convinced that worship is a key part of me growing in zeal and making sure I'm not lacking in it. It is a key way that I stir up that spiritual fire that is in within me. Um, It's not the only way, but it is an important way. And so I want us to start there. And listen, 
I know, we know, like, worship is not just a set of songs. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the whole of our lives, absolutely. And we're going to look at that in other weeks as well. I'm going to look at that next week. And then Emma and Sam are going to look a lot of that at the end of this month as well. So worship isn't just a song, but it is absolutely a song as well. And so I want to talk about that um, this morning. I think worship... um, is an amazing opportunity that affects all three parts of that verse. So worship is a way that we can practice being zealous, if that doesn't sound odd, actually to build up and to grow in zeal so that we're not lacking. Worship is an amazing way to do that. Actually to, to focus on our right, that jealousy that God talks about. You know, he is jealous for your affection. He's jealous for your heart for your life like he's jealous for you worship is an amazing way that we um i suppose we reinforce that covenant relationship that commitment that he is unfailingly pointing towards us and that in worship we get to give it our best yes again it's such an important way we grow in zeal it's a massively powerful way that we keep our spiritual fervor that we stir up that spiritual flame that is in us and it's the most important way that we serve the lord Listen, we minister to God before we minister for him or to anyone else. Your highest calling is to worship God, to minister to him in worship. And if you look in the Old Testament, if you look at the directive that God gave in the building of the temple, a large amount of time, a large number of the priestly roles were about worship with music and song and dance. It was a huge part of life. But listen, you minister to God that is the highest priority. He, you, know, you minister to him before you minister for him. It must be that way round. So worship is the ultimate zealous activity, if you like. Never be lacking in zeal. That means we have to live as radical worshippers. You can't separate those two things. So yes, worship is a lifestyle. The whole of our lives are worship. Definitely, 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 that's right. Um, but actually, there's a real power in our times of corporate worship. And again, we're actually going to look at that um, later on in this series and get some of our worship leaders at you as well. So this idea of worship, worship is a way that I can make sure I'm not lacking in zeal. Jesus says in John 4, doesn't he, he says that worshippers will be coming who worship in spirit and in truth. Okay? Now listen, we've talked about it a lot before, um, that actually this realisation, which is is clear, but sometimes we miss it. Is it. I know it's obvious to say it, but being a Christian is a spiritual walk, first and foremost. Absolutely affects all of us, but first and foremost, it's primarily spiritual and requires us to live in that spirit-to-spirit connection, filled with the Holy Spirit, and living spirit first. And we've talked about that in other weeks, but listen, in its spiritual fervor, we're supposed to stir up. It's the spiritual that we're looking to increase. So now I think one of the things I've learned is that, um, listen, worship is primarily a spiritual activity, but actually it involves all of me. It is a spiritual, emotional, mental, physical activity because we're called to love the Lord of God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, with all of us. It's not that God is only interested in the spiritual part of us. Actually, we're supposed to love God with everything we are. The times when we feel nothing and we choose. The times when we're exhausted but we move. Like, all of us should worship. And so we have a choice in times of worship to actually recognize that there's sometimes a real significance in physically doing something in a, you know, so physically position myself in a way that actually agrees with the truth of my true spiritual position, which is free indeed absolutely cleansed, hidden with Jesus, seated in heavenly places, beloved child, all of that thing that is spiritual truth, we get to 
almost demonstrate that physically sometimes. Or we could choose something else, or we could choose to more be led by what's going on maybe in the soul part of us, maybe in my mind, maybe in my emotions, maybe in my personality, maybe according to my anxious thoughts. Actually, what comes first when I'm worshipping? And we worship spirit first, but I'm absolutely convinced, and I've definitely found, and I I can't find a way of explaining it other than to just say, trust me, what you do physically can make a difference spiritually. Of course... We know when Jesus come, uh, when God came and was um, picking David out from all his brothers, he says this famous verse, doesn't he? Actually, God looks at, you know, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Of course he does. And so please don't kind of misunderstand me, but I'm telling you, there's stuff going on spiritually and on the inside that sometimes you physically just need to posture yourself differently in order to be growing in zeal and to stir up what spiritually is within you. Um, so I'm not saying we ever ignore emotions. That is not helpful or sensible. I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying that we should be obsessed with what's going on on the outside because that isn't what it is. But sometimes there's something really powerful in that. But we worship primarily in spirit. The second thing he says is that we worship in truth. Now, in part, that means that we worship Jesus, who is the truth. We worship in truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news, of who we are now, what Jesus has done. The who and the why that we worship is Jesus, the truth. But you know what? I think worshiping in spirit and truth is also, in part, about authenticity. There's nothing in what I'm saying that I'm saying we should somehow present a fake front. Like, like that just isn't it. You know, and some of you know Phil and I, some of you don't at all. Trust me, there is nothing in Phil and I that wants a fake front. Like that is so far away from what we're wanting and, and, and we value. That isn't what I'm saying at all. Absolutely, worshipping in zeal needs to be authentic. But I think it's worth thinking um, and considering, well, what does, what does authenticity actually mean? It means me showing up, bringing all of who I am, and, and, and giving that as an offering to Jesus. But listen, being authentic in worship, or actually in any other context, me being authentic doesn't always feel comfortable. So we have to, I think we need to have a reset maybe of, you know, being authentic is basically that everything lines up, you know, and I'm feeling right and I'm believing it all and I'm in a really good space and this feels completely comfortable and like... There's a part of that, but I'm, t- but I'm convinced me being authentic doesn't always feel comfortable. Let me give you an example. When Phil and I um, first met, I was fairly emotionally illiterate. Um, in fact, completely, I would say. Phil is the first person on the planet I ever said the words, I love you to. Literally, that was not part of my vocabulary at all, which I know sounds really dysfunctional. But literally, Phil's the first person I said that to. And um, Yeah, so i really emotionally literate. So I was always fine. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, didn't do conflict at all. If anything, if there'd ever been any conflict, it would, my response would be, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Because I'm like, I do not want to get into messy emotions. Like, just really, I just didn't have language for very much other than I'm fine. Anyway, so Phil and I were dating, and um, I fell in love. And uh, interestingly, I actually didn't find it that difficult to say, I love you to Phil, though he was the first person I said it to. But I remember a time when I'd, I was a student um, and I'd gone back to my parents um, for one of the holidays and Phil and I were chatting on the phone. So I was sat in the lounge with my mum and dad, um, who obviously know me for, I was probably 21, 22 at that point. Um, and I'm just chatting to Phil and then we were kind of wrapping up the phone call and saying bye. And so Phil said, okay, we'll speak to you soon, I love you. 
And in the moment, I can remember going, yep, okay, speak soon. <laughs> like, oh, I'm stuck. Phil being Phil would not let it go. He said, I said, I love you. <laughs> to which I went, yep, me too. <laughs> and he kept to get, I said, I love you. And in the end, I was just a bit like, yep, okay, I love you, bye. <laughs> so awkward, so uncomfortable. And it, for me, this is a really good example of what was the authentic me in that situation? Was the authentic me actually someone who genuinely had fallen in love with this man, genuinely felt it, wanted to say it? Or was the authentic me the one that actually was what my parents had got used to and what I felt comfortable with? And what would actually, in that moment, what would my inability or unwillingness to get beyond what felt comfortable, bottom line, just get over myself... Actually, what does that say about the value I place on Phil, on the value I place on us, you know, my unwillingness to get beyond what felt comfortable? But listen, I am convinced sometimes we settle for what feels comfortable and we say that's authentic, and honestly, I'm not convinced it is. I think there's more that somehow needs to get out. So that was, for me, that's an example of a real tension of, oh, what does authenticity look like? Because, and honestly, I want to gently say, I think we're wrong if we settle for authentic means I'm okay and comfortable with it. I don't think that's it. And I think that, you know, we're probably going to be lacking in zeal if that's what we settle for. Listen, the authentic me isn't always comfortable. It's not always what people expect of me. It's not often what people are used to of me. You know, the authentic me, I'm finally realizing, actually loves people fiercely but it's taken me a long time to kind of get healed up and secure enough to actually let some of that out. And so much of it is, actually, I don't think my mum and dad were bothered at all, but it was me giving me permission to get over myself, bottom line. I think, I think there is a passionate, devoted worshipper of Jesus in all of us. Why do I think that? Because God says that we're to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't think God is going to command us to do something that he's not absolutely committed to help us walk into. So I think wherever you find yourself, however much you feel like, you know, you're like me, um, I think there is a passionate worshiper, a zealous lover of Jesus inside every single one of us. We just need to find ways to get out. Because he calls you to love him with everything you are. And I don't think, you know, God sets impossible commandments that he's not absolutely willing to come alongside and say, come on, Sarah, let's walk into this. So it is in there for all of us. So authentic zeal in worship. You know, what is the, the radical action in a worship context that expresses this passionate internal state that is in us and can be increasingly in all of us? Because authenticity is not about my personality type and it's not about my preference for worship style. It's not about whether I have my favourite worship leader leading my favourite song in my favourite key. Like that, that's not it. Yes, it's true that God looks at the inside. But listen, there's, there's a really, I have found it a really powerful way, at times excruciatingly uncomfortable way of increasing my zeal for God by actually just getting over myself and getting some stuff out in worship. One of the things I found really helpful um, was actually what I do with my voice, um, which might sound a little bit bizarre. I remember ages ago, there's um, an old Kevin Prosh, who's an American worship leader, Kevin Prosh song. Um, you know, sometimes when you hear a lyric and it kind of just lodges in your head. So this, this lyric was... Um, 
It breaks the heavy yoke when you shout to the Lord. Now, I'm not a shouty person. So I remember hearing that and thinking, what does that mean? Like, what, like what, what is that? And so I thought, right, well, I'm going to go to the Bible. What does it say? Kind of try and hopefully find a reason why I do not need to shout. Sadly, the Bible says loads about shouting to the Lord, like loads and loads and loads. Um, and so I kind of, this was one part of my journey. So I was like, right, I need to find out how, what that looks like to shout to the Lord. This is going to make me sound like a nutcase. Genuinely, I actually couldn't do it at first. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get anything out. So what I had to do, because I, it's, I mean, this sounds weird. I'm not a weird Christian. I'm really normal. But I really felt like God saying, Sarah, I want you to shout. Um, so what I did was I had to practice at home. So I had to wait till Phil went out and I'd get a big pillow or a cushion because I couldn't, like I couldn't, I, I kind of, I, was frightened of the sound of my shout. So I had to shout into a pillow initially because that muffled it. So then, then I was like, okay, I can do that. And then it was like, okay, well, I might try in the car when I'm on my own. And if someone drives past, I might look like a nutcase. But otherwise, this is all right. I can do practice it to get to the point where I was like, actually, do you know what? I am going to shout to the Lord in worship. Listen, absolutely did not feel comfortable but really uncomfortable. And then the times, you know, when God first starts saying, what about dancing in worship? I was like, oh my gosh, I think I would have felt less uncomfortable if I'd have actually come to church without my jeans on. I felt so uncomfortable, so exposed. It's like, ah. Listen, it wasn't fake. It's as authentic as I've ever been in worship, but it felt so uncomfortable. But it's been a massively important part of my journey of actually getting over myself. Because listen, here's the other thing. Never being lacking in zeal in a worship context means I need, it needs to be authentic but costly. There's a beautiful story in um, 2 Samuel where one of the prophets comes to David and, and, and gives him this very specific instruction. I want you to go and build an altar here in a specific place on this bloke's bit of land. And um, so he go, David goes to the man who owns this land and says, you know, I want to I buy this bit of land to build an altar, altar to worship God. And the man's name, who has completely escaped me, basically offers to give David not only the land, but also the ox to kind of sacrifice and all the wood, and basically offers to give him everything that he needs, including the land, in order to worship. David's response massively provokes me in a really good way. So in 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says this. This is David's response to this offer of, let me give you everything you need to worship. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Like that convicts me in a really good way, actually. So my question to me often and to us is, actually, what does my zeal for God in worship actually cost me? Does it cost me anything? Because I think it should. What does it look like for you to bring a sacrifice of praise that is authentically you and yet you're willing for it to cost if needs be listen I'm not saying be weird for weird's sake again if you know me that is a hundred miles away from where I'd want to be I'm not saying be weird for the sake of it and the more weird the more Jesus that's nonsense I'm not going to either prescribe to you what that looks like I'm, I'm sharing some of my journey only in terms of saying listen this is kind of what this has looked like for me and a way that I'm trying to learn to not be lacking in zeal and that worship has been a profoundly important part of that journey but I'm not telling you what that needs to look like I'm not I'm not wanting to be prescriptive but listen authenticity in worship is a costly sacrificial wholehearted lifting up of Jesus who's rescued us so completely and so beautifully
Now listen, a radical action might be absolute silence before him. It might be that we're on our knees. It might be shouting. It might be dancing. I don't know what it is. But e- and even if you're a fairly reserved, introverted English person like I am, unashamedly, like that is me. But listen, I'm not despising who I am, but I've had to have this massively sometimes uphill journey on recognizing, listen, some aspects of my personality honestly are a bit broken. It's not good enough to say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just, you know, I could have said thing, well, I'm just not someone who ever says I love you. That's not healthy. Just because that was my norm, it's not healthy. Um, so I'm not saying that you should be anybody other than you are. And I'm not saying um, a more extroverted, for want of a better word, expression of worship is somehow more powerful or more costly than an introvert. Listen, for some of you extroverts, actually it might feel m- way more uncomfortable and stretching actually to be really silent and just listen, actually, for that intimate voice of the Father, you know, where God's saying, listen, you know, stop pointing stuff at me. I want to speak to you. For some of you, that might feel like more of a stretch. So I'm, I'm not, absolutely not saying we shouldn't be aware of our differences. I'm not saying that. You know, I, I am more reserved and more introverted. That, that is how I am. But some of that is brokenness that I have got to step over. I haven't got all the answers about this or anything else. But listen, one thing I've really learned is it, it, it honestly isn't always about what I feel. I have a responsibility to strengthen zeal in my life. And I, you know, there's that awareness that actually I limit myself so much. I put myself in a box and I bring a version of me that I feel comfortable with, that people around me are kind of going to be okay with. Um, but that limits me. And bottom line, it limits what I'm saying God is worth. In the same way that actually if I had not got over myself in that conversation with Phil actually what does that say about the value I place on us you know what does my worship say about the value I place on Jesus actually what does it cost me so worship is this amazing opportunity to build up and practice our zeal actually to stir up that spiritual fire that is in us and listen I'm I'm really aware that some of that language might feel a bit uncomfortable kind of for me as well that you know stir up I think a really valid question is, well, doesn't that sound a little bit like hype? And again, absolutely, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, it could do. Can we hype up things in a worship context? Yeah, of course we can. And actually, you know, it's like a bad cappuccino. It's like all froth and no coffee underneath. Like, absolutely, we can whip up emotion. That's not the same thing. How do we then, as a church family, be a space where we can be zealous in worship in whatever way that looks like, but actually it not be hype. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's not very helpful, is it? Um, listen, one, of the thing, one thing I think will help us is the difference between, I think, you hyping me up and me being zealous is that hype is something that is done from the outside, whereas zeal is something I choose. I stir up the spiritual fires within. I don't expect you to hype it up for me. Does that make sense? So zeal is a response, sorry, zeal is not a response to an instruction from man. It's a responsiveness to an invitation from God. I think that's the difference. And if we can, if we can kind of have that in our thinking, I think we will manage to, to be zealous and not tip over into hype. Listen, I'm not saying there's not a massively important role for our worship leaders in this. Like there really is. Um, absolutely for them to help lead us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to model for us what that looks like. But it's not for them to stir us up. It's for you and I to do that for ourselves. Yeah, they have a massively important role, 
But listen, I don't, you know, hype is a, you know, is a poor counterfeit of genuine zeal. But equally, you know, what I'm comfortable with is often a poor counterfeit for genuine authenticity. So somehow we've got to try and figure out these, what these things look like so that we are a people who are never lacking in zeal. And worship, honestly, has been such an important journey for me in, in walking into that. Totally not there yet. Lots of ways to kind of push through. But I, I, want, I guess I want to finish with that. This is a question. Actually, how zealous are we in worship, in a, in a corporate worship setting? Please don't hear I'm saying it looks a certain way. You know, it's not about how expressive it is. It's not even about volume. But there is a time sometimes when it might look like that, and that doesn't necessarily feel like it comes naturally or easily to us. But how zealous are we in our worship? I remember a few years ago being down at David's Tent, which is a big, basically, three days of 24-hour praise and worship. It's amazing. And um, Jonathan David and Melissa Helser were leading. And I don't know if you've ever come across Melissa Helser, but she is a ferocious worshipper of Jesus. I love her. She's amazing. She stretches me in all the best ways. But she was, I remember she was leading um, a song that they've written called Explode My Soul, which is brilliant. It's just this kind of, I just got to get this stuff out. And she was saying, think about um, Miriam's song. So in the Old Testament, when the Israelites cross the Red Sea and they're, you know, they're fleeing and the Egyptians are coming and the sea parts and they walk through. And on the other side, Miriam sings this song of deliverance. She said, think about that song. Do you think it was a token you know, round of applause. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. You're very good, God. Thank you. Like, do you think that was the kind of song that she sang? You know, this was generations of people who had been oppressed and in slavery for years, for generations, you know, fleeing for their very lives and seeing an entire sea open up before them and then walk through and their enemies being destroyed. Do you think her song of praise would have been zealous and a little bit more than our maybe token British Thank you, Jesus. Like, I think it would. So what does, you know, what does, what does my worship cost me? What does it look for me to worship authentically but sacrificially? Actually, what does my worship of God demonstrate to him and other people, actually, the value I place on him? The gratitude I have for his love for me, for the way he's rescued me and is restoring me. Like, what does my worship say that? Actually, is it zealous and costly and wholehearted? You know, the, the Hebrew word for heart, we think heart is all about emotions and Valentine's Day and red love hearts. Actually, the word, the Hebrew word actually means mind, will, emotion, center of your personality, even some physical things. It means the whole of who I am worshiping. Do I worship wholeheartedly in a way that I am not going to be lacking in zeal? Or do I let my personality or my preference or my you know, value for the opinions of other people or where I'm at with my emotions or what's going on in life, do I let that squash my zealous, authentic, costly worship of Jesus? And listen, this is a journey for all of us to go on. And like with any journey, know where you're starting. Don't be discouraged by that. But start where you are and just start walking with the Lord in terms of what does that look like? So when you stand, and I'm, I'm going to get Mark to come pray with us.